Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated, and we are going to be in Luke chapter 4 today, so if you brought your Bible with you or your phone or anything like that, you can uh, follow along in Luke chapter chapter 4. If you do not own a Bible, there are, there are stacks of them out in the foyer area out here. We call it the narthex, just to be really cool. Um, they are out there for you. If you do not own a Bible, one of those is now yours, and you get to take it home and let it be your friend. I was... Um, I was honored last week to witness Bishops Breedlove and Hawkins proclaim our church a cathedral in the diocese. It was a big day, a big day for the life of the church, and I was personally humbled and blessed and challenged as the bishops instituted me as the dean of the cathedral. And so it was my first time in the pulpit as your dean. Um, I will say to you, it was truly one of the most significant moments of my life as I took vows to be your shepherd and friend. And I promise you that I will do everything in my power to love you well in the name of Jesus. I also promise you that I will make mistakes, and I will disappoint you, and I will let you down, because I am a sinner who is saved by grace. And so I would ask for the grace of, from you, and I depend on the grace of Jesus to be able to even stand before you today. So I'm, I am excited about many years of ministry together. So here's what I thought that would be good for us to do over the course of the next few weeks, is with all the things that have been happening here at Redeemer, shifting to a cathedral, all the different things that have, been, that have happened in leadership transitions and such, is what I thought for the next few weeks, it would be good for us to sit and return to the basics, to pause and take a breath and to remember what we are all about here at Redeemer. What is the church about? Why do we do the things that we do? What even are the things we are supposed to be doing? And what is our mission? What is our, what is our purpose? And who even gets to decide those things? In an age where the source of truth is assumed to be ourselves and our own feelings and our own intellect and our own opinions, I am excited to tell you that Redeemer is a part of something that is much bigger and older and more beautiful, and smarter than we are ourselves. Can you imagine if it was up to me and you to design a church that could adequately communicate the truth of God, bring healing to the brokenness of the entire world, and sufficiently represent the holy and eternal God to the people who do not know him? Scripture says things that the church is going to proclaim the good news to the powers and principalities of the universe. If it was us, up to us to figure out how to do that, uh, I do not feel up to the task. That we're going to one day judge angels, the scripture says. That's scary to me. Unless someone else is in charge and tells us how to do these things and how to go about doing these things. And lucky for us, or maybe not lucky, maybe it's, maybe it's more sovereignty than it is luck. God has given us direction and vision and a mission 
that it's only God himself, himself who could design a church like that. So follow me in this logic for a second, and, then we'll, and we'll, we'll get there to, to Luke chapter 4 in just a second. So follow me in this logic. To, to understand the nature and the mission of the church, we need to look to the one who created the church and who sends the church. So, well, what is the church? Let's ask the one who made it. What's the church supposed to be about? Well, let's ask the one who sent it. That's God. So we need to look to God. So, okay, how do we look to God to learn about what the church is about and what the church should be doing? Well, we need to look to how he has revealed himself to us. How has God said, I want you to know me. I want you to know my plans. And here's the way that I'm going to tell you. We need to look to those things. And so primarily, that's Jesus himself. When God became one of us, in order to reveal himself to us so that we could know him, so that we could see him, so that we could know what he is about. So our understanding of Jesus leads to our understanding of who the church is and what the church should be doing. If you want to use theological terms, we would say our Christology shapes our ecclesiology, which determines our missiology. Our understanding of Christ helps us to understand who the church is and what the church should be doing. Let me put it another way, even more simply. <clears throat> After Jesus' death and resurrection, he appeared to his disciples. And he said this in John chapter 20. He said, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And when the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord, he said to them again, peace be with you. And listen to this. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So what, what Jesus has just said in that simple phrase is that God has a plan, God has a mission, God has something that God is doing, and God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to embody that mission, to live out that mission, and Jesus is then sending the church. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you on that same mission of the Father, okay? You with me? So this is all about God's plan in the world, and you're like, wait a second, some of you are going, wait a second, there's... There's a third part of the tree. Where does the Holy Spirit fit into that? Hold on. You're getting ahead of me. We're going to get there in just, in just a second. So according to Jesus, God has a mission, a purpose, a plan, a work that he's doing, sent his son on that mission, who is then sending the church on mission. This is what is oftentimes called the missio dei, the mission of God. What is God doing in the world? So our understanding of the church doesn't stem what I think it should be or what you think it should be but rather what God has made it to be. There's an objective truth about what the church is and should be doing. Okay, so if we need to look to Jesus and Jesus's ministry and the person of Jesus to learn about what we should be as a church, let's catch up with him in Luke chapter 4. Okay, so give you some context here in Luke chapter 4. It's early in Jesus's ministry. He's been born at this point. Um, he has, uh, he's been baptized. He has gone into the wilderness to be tempted for a while. He's come out of the wilderness then, and it says here in verse 14, Luke 14, or sorry, Luke 4, 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout the, the, the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So here's the first, the first characteristic of Jesus' ministry that I think that we should be applying to us here at Redeemer as well, and the ministry that God has given us, is that after that Jesus only moved after the anointing and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 14 said, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. We see this over and over and over again in the Scripture, that the church is to do nothing without the power of God. It is not our flesh that can make any difference at all. It's not about slick marketing or amazing programs. There is no preacher that is good enough. There is no music that is good enough. There is no children's ministry that is, uh, that is shiny enough that changes lives. It is all about the power of God at work in the hearts and lives of the people. And we see this in Jesus's ministry. We see this when he sends the church in Acts 2. He's like, you're going to be my witnesses throughout the whole world, but don't go and try to do that until the power of God falls upon you, that the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so when we look at our many years of ministry together, as we look at the next chapter of Redeemer together in our life and work, we should beg, plead, worship, pray for the power and falling of the Holy Spirit upon this place. May God fill our hearts and our minds and our, and our intellects and our bodies May this be a place where the Holy Spirit is palpable, that when you walk in the door, it's like walking through a curtain, that we need the power of God in this place. Okay, so he continues. And then he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. So and Jesus intentionally went to synagogues. This is what I want you to see in this. When he's, he's walking around now, he preached in other places. He preached a pretty famous sermon on a, on a mount. Um, there's a lot of other places where he preaches as well. But he consistently goes into the synagogues. And we see this in the New Testament as well, that there's a consistent push of preaching in the synagogues. And what I want us to see from this and recognize as our ministry and Redeemer, that the church is, is not just something that we add on to our spirituality. Like, I love Jesus, and so part of my individual spirituality then is to be a part of a church. No, church is the primary instrument of God's redemption in the world. God is working through his church. He has always worked through his people. Now, I just finished saying that that doesn't mean that it's by our power and by how good we are. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit and the saving work of Jesus, but that God has sent his church with this message, with, with this power. Us in this room are a part of the grand mission of God, the story of redeeming the world. And he has called us to this part of his vineyard to do his work. And the church is essential in that. The church is not something that we choose to maybe be a part of or maybe not, because it's within the church that we find the words of God. It's within the church that we find the family and the people of God. Later on in this chapter, Jesus has some significant words for the people who were in the synagogue. He says, you've, heard, you've had the word of God for a long time, and you haven't done anything with it, and you haven't actually followed it. Uh, and so he's got some difficult things for the church to hear, but Jesus didn't come to disband the gathering of his people. He came to redeem it. He came to make it what it should be. When, when by the power of the Holy Spirit and a lot of prayer, the folks who were gathered initially in the starting of this church chose to, to name this church Church of the Redeemer, that's a high standard. Like Church of the Mediocre would have been much easier if we had, uh, if we had chosen that. We, we, we chose the name Church of the Redeemer to be reminded that 
All things are being redeemed through the gospel. Let us never be a place like this synagogue that Jesus says the word's been in front of you and you haven't done anything with it. He makes them so mad they try to go throw him off a cliff. I'll let you read that on your own. So, so he comes in to the synagogue, and it says in verse 17 that the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And this is what he reads. Okay, so Jesus at this point is a famous preacher. He also has his roots in this town. So it makes sense that he's asked to read and speak as a visiting rabbi or teacher. So there's a lot of buildup and crescendo because there's a, he did a lot of things in Capernaum before he got here, like healing Peter's mother-in-law. If you know that story, that happened right before he got here as well. So there's a lot of fervor around him. And, and uh, he's handed the scroll of Isaiah and he opens it up to what we would call Isaiah 61. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So here's the first thing I want to see. What Jesus is about to do is take that passage from Isaiah and and apply it to his ministry. Like this this is what I'm here to do. This is what we are about. And if we then say what Jesus is about is what we should be about, these words speak then to us as well about what we should be doing here. But before we get into the specifics of that, I want you to see this, that Jesus's ministry began with the word of God. And everything that we do at Redeemer must be based on the word of God. If we do not have the word of God, we have nothing. We have sentiment. We have charitable work. But we don't have the power of God. We don't have the way to eternal life. We don't have where true change and redemption takes place. That happens within the word of God. And I know that there are people in this room today who are saying, I hear that, Dan, but isn't it just a book full of errors and contradictions written by an ancient patriarchy? And is it really worthy? And, and, uh, and, uh, and can we trust it to be applicable to today? I don't have time to refute all those errors this morning. We have an annual meeting after this, uh, and nobody packed lunches. But, but, but let me just say this. Before you believe that narrative, take time to actually study these things. Because what you're going to find is that the reliability and grace and mercy and truth of the Bible have been proven over and over and over again. That the the argument of, aren't there just a bunch of contradictions, is no. And we can talk through that in our growth series classes that we have here, in catechism, and uh, in our Discovering Redeemer classes, we go through these kind of things as well. You have clergy to meet with and strong lay leaders in this place to work through those things. But if that's where you are, find someone to work through these things because you will find answers that will astound you about the reliability of the scripture that we base all of our faith upon. Jesus' ministry started with the word, and so should ours. So he says this, Let's get specifically then into this text from Isaiah. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So there's the Spirit again uh, that we already talked about. Jesus says, The Spirit has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And so there's a proclamation aspect of who we are as the church. There's a proclamation aspect of what Jesus was doing. He came into the world and he said, Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Uh, there's a proclamation aspect of things. And we are to proclaim the good news as well, the good news of Christ dying on the cross for our sins, the great victory of his resurrection that sets us free from sin and death itself. We are to proclaim these things from up here, from that table over there, in our lives, in, in our workplaces, and with our children, and in our schools. We are to be a place of proclamation of the good news. And he says as well, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And when we talk about the poor, yes, sometimes that means financially poor, and we should be a part of that. We should be a part of helping those who are in need. We should be a part of reaching out to those who have no hope. We're also after the poor in spirit of any socioeconomic class or age or gender that we are preaching good news to all who are poor in every way because it is only the riches of Christ that can fulfill them and, and meet their needs. The Scripture speaks often about God's concern for the vulnerable, for the poor, the widow, the orphan, for children, and for the brokenhearted of all ages. And so that is our ministry as well. Then he says, still quoting Isaiah, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive. What great news. If you're a captive, what better news is there than liberty? If you are oppressed and if you are enslaved, what greater news is there than freedom? And that Jesus and the church are about setting captives free. Primarily, this is about Jesus' death and resurrection when he broke the bonds of Satan, sin, and death. There's a freedom now that we enjoy and, and engage in and live out that says death itself cannot pluck us from the hand of Jesus Christ. And that has set all of us free. All of us free, death the great equalizer has been put down by the life of Jesus Christ. And this is the great news that we have. And that sets everyone free, no matter their situation. We boldly proclaim Christ and his hope. Then he says, Spirit has anointed me for the recovering of sight to the blind. And so Jesus and the church are to be concerned about the healing of physical things, not just people's souls. That's primarily what we're after, the things that are eternal. But the things that are physical matter as well. Matter matters. Jesus Jesus' resurrection was a bodily resurrection. They put their fingers in his hands and his sides. He healed physically. And we should be a part of that in our life as well. Physical sickness, the brokenness of relationships, the unhealth of all creation comes from the effects of sin. And Jesus is concerned with the redemption of all things. And so should we be. Jesus performed physical miracles so that people would believe his words of forgiveness and wholeness. And so physical healing of the body, participating in the care of creation, providing physically for those who are in need, and our witness in these things shows the reality of our words when we say that Jesus is the Redeemer. So we have a farm that feeds the body. We have a park that we, uh, we have a vision for a park as it's coming together as a place of beauty where we, where we are about the, the care of creation. We have an abbey with ministry for physical and emotional healing and engaging in the brokenness of the business world as well. We want to be a part of the redemption of all things in Jesus' name. 
spiritual, and physical. And he says this then, continuing to read this passage, he says, to set at liberty those who were oppressed. This is the second time that he has mentioned setting captives and the oppressed free. And just like his resurrection that sets free, that is concerned with things physical and emotional, so are we too. We want to be a part of not just setting people free from sin and from death, but setting free setting them free from what enslaves them. The term social justice does not have to be a politically divisive term. Setting people free is central to who we are because that's what Jesus does. Those who are enslaved, enslaved in the sex trade should have hope because there is a church in the world working to free them. Those who suffer the bondage of, of chemical or sexual addiction should look to the church to find healing and wholeness. Those who suffer from the oppression of broken economic systems or racial persecution or poverty should know that there are people who represent their redeeming God working for their liberty. Healing is found in Christ. Freedom is found in Christ. And the church shares the mission of Christ. And he ends this passage by saying this in verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is proclaiming that God is for us and that he loves us, and that that is the message of the church. He's specifically here referring to the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament where, where all debts were canceled and slaves were returned to their families and people were able to rest in the peace and joy of the Lord. And the year of the Lord's favor is not just one year of Jubilee. It is now the age that we are in, that the Lord loves us. And we get to tell a, a very anxious and very fearful and very divided world that freedom has come in Christ and that family has come in Christ and that healing and wholeness come in Christ and that joy comes in Christ and that peace comes in Christ. We get to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So I love this part of this scripture. He's done reading now. Jesus is in the synagogue. He's done reading all of these amazing things. And so he rolls up the scroll and he hands it back to the attendant and sits down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, it says in verse 20. So there's this moment of silence, this pregnant pause. This famous preacher has come who has done some amazing things in Capernaum. Who is this guy? And he just read with such authority as well. So now what's he going to say at this point in the service of the synagogue is where there would be an exposition or a sermon about what they had just read. And so they're waiting, and Jesus sits down. There's this tense moment. And he preaches a one-sentence sermon. He stands up and he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he drops the mic. <laughs> right? That's it. Like his whole sermon was me. That's what he just said. Me. That's what this is all about. All of these things. How does this happen? It happens because of me. How, how is, what does God mean when 600, 700 years ago, when Isaiah prophesied these things, what was he talking about? Me. You're going to find the solution to all of these things in me. And so what we see that Jesus' ministry was all about the mission of God, and the mission of God was all about Jesus, and the mission of the church is all about Jesus. 
Everything that we do at Redeemer must be all about Jesus. It's all about knowing Him and worshiping Him. It's all about serving Him and becoming more like Him. It's about how He reveals the Father. It's about how He sends the Holy Spirit to empower the church. It's about how He saves and redeems. It's how He takes the church as His bride and how one day He comes again to make all things new. This is all about Jesus. And so from Jesus' description of his own ministry here, this is the grand mission that we are a part of at Redeemer. That it's all about Jesus. That it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. That it's based on the Word. That it's, that it's serving as God's people. Setting the captives free. Healing the hurting. Straightening the crooked. Bringing hope and joy. Is the mission of God for which he has formed and sent the church. So clearly, this is too big for us. Clearly, we can't do this alone or just as Redeemer. And this is why we are so thankful that we are a part of one holy Catholic and apostolic church, a global family around the world. God is not just saying this to our local expression of the great universal church. He is leading in this same way through faithful people just like you all over the world to see this mission happen. When we share in this table, we are breaking bread, not only here, but breaking bread with our brothers and sisters throughout the entire world who share in this meal with us. And the table goes backwards, a long way into the past for all those who have shared this same table as well. And it goes a long way into the future where at the other end, Jesus sits at, his head, at its head at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So yes, this is a big task. But we serve a really big God. The God who has created all things, who is redeeming all things, who has come to be one of us and promised to come again, and in the meantime has sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. And so what are we believing him for? What does God want to do in this place, through you, in you? I don't know the answer to all those questions. I don't know how all this is going to work out. I don't know how all of this looks like. This is not where we go. And now in the annual meeting, we're going to give you the next 10 years about how we're going to accomplish all of these things. We don't have a, a, a plan to meet all of these needs, but we are trying to be faithful in who we are as a church. And as we are moving forward together, as the Holy Spirit leads us, we know that he is going to accomplish all of these things in our midst. So with all of the transitions and things that are happening around here, Let's not get too distracted by cathedrals and bishops and deans and titles and vestments. And as we look at our next chapter of life together, it is, as it's always been, all about Jesus and all about God's mission and the spirit-empowered church's role in the redemption of all things. I'm really anxious to see how God is going to pull all this off. And I know that we'll be amazed together to find out. And I look forward to years serving alongside one another, this powerful, wonderful, active, and victorious God that we serve. Pray with me. Father, you have created all things. And when we had become subject to evil and death, you and your mercy sent your only son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to restore us, to bring us back to you. 
There is a great and glorious gospel that belongs to you that is the redemption of all things. And you have, by your grace, saved us into your church that we may be the hands and feet of your son, Jesus Christ, that we may be the instrument of this mission, that we may be the proclaimers and the enactors of what you want to see happen in the world. And so we pray fervently, passionately for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Fall upon this place. Do things that we could never ask for or imagine. Help us in our sinfulness to be faithful. When we, when we stumble and fall into sin, let us repent and return to you. Let us hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let us hunger and thirst for those who don't know you. Let us not take for granted what we have in the gospel or the family that we are a part of in the church. Let us not be choked out by the cares of this world and distracted from your glory and your goodness and your gospel. Lord, we pray that the name that is made great in this place doesn't belong to any of us, but that it is yours and yours alone. That it is Christ who is glorified. And that Greensboro and wherever else the Lord gives us influence and relationship, that your gospel will be proclaimed and lives will be changed through your power to the glory of your name. We ask all of these things in the faithful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.